it's okay to fling spaghetti at the wall. Like I'm fine with testing, right? right. But but we have to do it in a way that we're testing for utility rather than yeah. just sort of get quick, uh, get rich quick schemes. Hey everybody, and welcome to Slow Smoke Business. I'm your host Jared Morgan. Guys, we're breaking new ground today. I've got Dave Sobel on the show. Welcome, Dave. Jared, I am so excited to be here today. This could be such fun. Dave is in his backyard because he is going to join me, being the second podcaster to bot to podcast a tech business grilling thing all at the same time. Does that make you like what is it, Buzz Aldrin? Right. I guess, yeah. it, but it, you know, it, it, when I heard your concept, I was like, this sounds fantastic. Oh, yeah. And yes, let's smoke something. Let's smoke something. <laughs> For the first time ever, both myself and my esteemed guest here will be cooking in our backyard. Uh, we've already had copious amounts of interruptions just in the run up to the show here. So it's just going to be an interesting one. It's, it's the joy but, of sitting out in your backyard doing this stuff. Of course it is. <laughs> so like, listen, because you are so gracious uh, to be cooking on the show, I'm going to allow you to introduce your food first. So what are you cooking today? Well, thank you. So I am cooking up my bacon. So I do a, a home cured bacon uh, that I learned to do a couple of years ago where you, you know, you cure it for a week beforehand. So I pulled them this morning, uh, did the curing last week. It's a maple rub that you do with, with the salts and the maple syrup and cure it for a week and then throw it on. And I'm doing a slow cook all the way up to, to try to get the meat to 150 or so. And then I can pull them. They'll go back. I'll wrap them and then I'll, you know, chill them back out and I can start slicing tomorrow if I need one of those, those blocks. So you, okay. So you haven't sliced it yet. You have a, um, or you, yeah, you've got a, you've got like basically almost like a uh, pork belly. It's pork right? belly. Yeah. It's pork belly. So I took, so I took, you know, and I went up to Costco, got a big old, a big old 10 pounder slice it into three chunks. And then those each got cured in a Ziploc bag. And yeah. then those three are smoking right now. And you can appreciate that there's a tech angle to mine, too. Yeah, oh yeah. I use a, a Wi-Fi enabled controller on the big green egg to make sure that I control both the temperature and keeping an eye on the meat temperature itself. Well, the guys that are, are avid followers of my show know I'm a very uh, rec. You know, I'm a, I, I cook on a rec tech. Right. I, so tech's in the name. Um I don't have time to be like Aaron Franklin down in Austin, Texas. Like he's, he's my hero and that guy's great, but I need something to sort of dial it up and, and streamline it for me. And so yep. you've put a lot of effort into this. Uh, I too went to Costco, uh, but definitely <laughs> did not do, I did not do all the things you did. So I'll get over here. We're actually doing what I will say is the laziest thing you can grill, uh, which is frozen chicken wings. And I know that sounds silly, but I'm telling you, it's one of my favorite things to do. Everybody that listens to the show knows I like easy, quick things. Uh, and this is the easiest thing you can possibly do on a grill. But there is nothing better than a properly smoked chicken wing, which is what we're going to get into. Overhead grill cam uh, is part of the reason why we had some delays today. So we're going with a gimbal style, which is it's almost this is like the Blair Witch Grilling Project right now. Uh, and I'm going to dump these guys on the grill and we're going to see Dave's been smoking his, uh, here in chicken wing here. Dave's been smoking. Jared, this was meant to be, cause I have the same bin that you just used to dump those oh. wings out. So, so <laughs> I, I will not rest until they are a sponsor of the show the, I absolutely swear by that. It's the, um, what is the brand of this thing called? 
Oh, yeah. I know. It's the collapsible, but it's the collapsible yeah. bin. It's a drip it easy. A huge difference. It's a drip easy barbecue bin because when you have a bunch of like, you know, salmonella chicken wings or whatever, like, what do you do with the thing after you've thrown them on the grill? It's super easy to wash. It breaks down into a cutting board. It's awesome. So, drip easy fam, get at me on the show so we can have you on Slow Smoke Business. Dave, you are the host of uh, Business of Tech, right? That's my show. Yeah. Uh, great show that sort of details everything that's going on in the tech world and kind of a rundown of the headlines and the way for uh, for people to sort of think about what's going on in the news. And one of the things you've been talking a lot about shutting the grill up there. One of the things you've been talking a lot about is AI, right? You talk a lot about AI on the show. We talk about it here, too. And I'd love to get your perspective on where AI is today relative to the average person, the average person that is out um, trying to build their business or whatever. I think it, when you live in the tech world, you get in this bubble and you think AI has already touched everything and it's, it's changing. And, and that's not, that's not even remotely true, right? There's so much. It's of the world, not even close. There's so much yeah. of the world that hasn't even really wrapped their head around it yet. So where do you think AI is today for the average person? Yeah, and, and it's always good to give my perspective on this because my I come from the, the IT services world. So I ran a business delivering technology services to small businesses for a decade, and then I spent another eight years delivering software to the companies that serve that space. So you're exactly right. Like the the those of us that live and breathe tech, like will immediately think that something is massive, and then you step out into you know the regular business world and realize that adoption always takes so much longer. So the, the two metrics that we're sort of comparing against, first, when we look at ChatGPT itself, right, had the most explosive consumer product launch of any technology so far, right? Just, just went to 100 million users in record time. But then when we compare against adoption, we're only actually seeing, you know, sort of 10% adoption maybe in the business world. And mostly these are all early pilots and people figuring out like what this might be. But interestingly, the, particularly the larger the company, the more we're seeing that. I just reported this past week that the, the government, the U.S. government, is running 1,200 different projects right now to pilot and test the, the generative AI and its derivative uses. So it's happening. It's happening early, but it's much more in that early test period than a lot of people might think based on the, the buzz. Yeah, I think, you know, the the average person maybe has heard about AI right now and maybe has done what I did in my first couple of ways, which was ask chat GPT to write notorious BIG lyrics about nice. the companies <laughs> that I've had started and things. But I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think everybody really plugs into it until they fully understand what, what it means to them. Right. And so until people start to fully understand what's going on, you know, and how it can affect their lives and how it can change their lives, uh, then it doesn't really become real. It doesn't really become a part of their life. For me, the big moment was um, we had a family situation. So my, so my mother uh, is actually battling cancer right now. And oh, sorry, yeah. uh, thank you. And one of the things that you do if you want to really fight um, is you want to find a doctor that has treated um, – she has MDS, right, which is a, a blood cancer and kind of a rare cancer. You don't see it a lot. And you really want to find a doctor that has treated that 
um, more times than not, right? You, want, you don't want to have somebody go, oh, I do that about 10 times a year. You want somebody that, oh, I do that about 10 times a day, right? And so old school, it would have taken months of research to find doctors. Um, but with ChatGPT, I, I literally went on, explained my mother's situation. I explained her age, her diagnosis. And I said, hey, I need the five doctors who have treated more cases of this type of cancer than anybody else. And boom, got five names. And then I said, okay, I need the five most cited academics on research about this cancer. Boom, got five names. Two of the names were on both lists. And so it was like, mm -hmm. bingo. In less than really 60 seconds, frankly, um, I had narrowed down two months worth of work. And we zeroed in. We found a great doctor for her at MD Anderson. She's getting awesome care. But um, it, who knows how long that would have taken? Who knows if I would have stumbled on the right answer? It just would have been a tremendous amount of Google searches and reading through things. And so I think for the average person, that's a very personal story for me to share. But I wanted to get it out there because that kind of thing, that sort of speed and efficiency for an average person dealing with a real life issue is how you can think about hey how AI can change the way we navigate the world. And Jared, let me translate what you just said in a personal story into what we're seeing in the business world. So I reported on the show that they're running tests in emergency rooms where they're, they're giving the ER docs chat GPT and allowing them to use as patients come in to pro provide all the symptoms and you know get the answers back. And what they're finding is, is in 90% of cases, their chat GPT is correctly diagnosing the problem in the top five things that come in. So now imagine a technology where they, the, the, the patient rolls into the ER, the doc describes the symptoms, and then from there gets the answer in the list of five. Speaking of yeah. heading to the ER, by the way, I know. like <laughs> if anybody, funny. if anybody doubts that we're doing a backyard podcast, it's usually me that has to apologize for the background noise, but we're, Dave, we're just Dave, barreling through it. We're just barreling <laughs> through. But you're right. And so, and so, did they did they come to a conclusion really about that? Yeah, and it's it, what they're finding is it's incredibly effective that the ER doc is getting the correct answer in the five answers provided ninety percent of the time. Wow. And so, you, what you want to think about this is the ability to augment human decision making. To your, you, know, you had to make decisions about healthcare for your mom. ER doctors have to make decisions about healthcare for their patients. It's giving you that access to that information faster and in a way that you can test. We've got examples all over in yeah. terms of what they're doing in terms of chemical testing, where they'll actually do meta, meta, you know, pharmaceutical testing, and they'll give all of the potential proteins out to one of the models and say, what are the potentials for the, for you know a particular drug? And it'll come back and go, Here's, here is a subset of the list you can test and then that's accelerating drug drug development like it's those kinds of uses and you can yeah. find it in all kinds of businesses yeah i'm gonna check my chicken wings really quick uh but i wanna, I wanna <laughs> nice. that sounds like a, that sounds like a weird thing okay so i have not seasoned them yet by the way what i wanted to do was kind of sweat them out a little bit get them wet uh so that they will have um that the seasoning will actually stick to it so I'm going to season half of these up with some bourbon maple rub and the other half with lemon pepper, which are, which is one of my favorites while I'm saying that your house. <laughs> yeah, really come on over. So while I'm, while I'm doing this, you said a key word there 
that I think uh, just spoke volumes. And the word was augment, right? So before I really thought about this as a, as a, like an AI question. So for those that are new to the show, I, I founded a company called ProctorU. It's an online proctoring company. And we watched people take tests over the internet to allow them to not have to go to campuses and test centers and really be able to test anywhere. One of the things that we struggled with and battled with throughout the history of our company was the appropriate and acceptable spots where you add tech to the stack and add, add it to the process. What we found about test taking was people were profoundly uh, nervous about a, an, an algorithm making a decision about a student and whether they were cheating on a test or, or what was going on. However, the magic happened when we would take our, you know, I don't know if you can see what I'm doing here, by the way. I'm not sure if you're watching online, if it's like, this is like terrible, terrible camera work. The magic happens when you take, uh, when you take a human and you make them better and you allow the human to do what the human does best and the tech to do what the tech does best. And it makes the human faster. It reduces errors. That to me was where the magic was. I think we're a long, 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 long way away. Maybe we're not, maybe not that many longs, but we're a long ways away from Skynet deciding our fate, you know, and, and, and just there being no human input for critical human experiences. I think we're a long way away from that. But I do think we're close and we're going to be better off when we, as a human, have a tool that that makes us more efficient and less error prone. I mean, I'd agree completely. And, and for me, you know, the advice that I'm giving to business owners, and in particular, the IT companies that advise them, is exactly that. You're looking for areas where you can use AI to augment your team. People are not going to get replaced by machines. They're going to get replaced by people that understand the AI. Yeah, that's yep. the big. That's the big thing to look for. And in fact, there's there's actually a couple of bits. Even if you're not ready to dive in fully, there's two things that you want to do regardless. The first is you should definitely be looking at your organization and making sure your data is clean. Data the AI only works really well when the data is well organized. When it's when it when it's at least you know. Not, not necessarily perfect, but at least consumable by the machines. And then the second thing is, is you want to work on a framework of the way you're going to approach it. What are your ethics around that? What are the limits of what you're willing to do, which, what aren't? What are your privacy policies? What kind of information are you collecting? And just consider the framework. And by the way, there's a ton of these out there. You know, the, the Biden administration put out an executive order that gives a whole bunch of framework stuff. NIST is providing a whole bunch of stuff. Private companies are providing a whole bunch of stuff. This isn't a start from nothing situation. This is a there's tons of resources to think about that so that when you when you're ready to implement at whatever speed, you've got the frameworks in place. Yeah, I, I just think we're living in an exciting time. You know, the old the saying that I said on an episode before. Uh, was, you know, there is no such thing as, as AI is just better and better algorithms, right? And so when you sort of think about it that way, it frames it in a different place. I think we're, I think we're just a long way away from the Skynet. People, people, too many people watch Terminator, right? And they, and they, they go, they go straight to the extreme when they think about artificial intelligence and pass all of the great um, updates that it can do for humanity. There was a study back in, I believe it was 2018, 2018, 2019 timeframe from Gartner that said uh, that um, AI is going to be a net job creator. Not, It's not going to take jobs 
uh, it's not going to remove jobs from the economy. It's going to create jobs. But in that creation, it's going to eliminate millions of jobs and replace them with millions more of new jobs. And so just like in history, when you saw, you know, blacksmiths went away as we had introduced the car, but now you have mechanics, right? And all these other things that happen, it jobs just move and change in the economy, move to another spot. Uh, but it's not that the jobs are going away. And that's a lot of that's a lot of turmoil in the modern economy, though, in the global economy. Like there's going to be a whole lot of people that have to be reskilled so that they know how to operate in this new kind of world. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I laugh. I've been in, tw- in technology over 25 years now. Everything has always gotten more complicated and, right. and, and, and created more. Right. It's, we create more productivity. We've got more efficiency. But by the way. Uh, things are more expensive net with technology and you invest more in technology over time. Now I would make an argument that you're getting more back. It's a better spend. We've gotten better at it. We've gotten much smarter. We can enhance productivity, but by the way, these companies don't get smaller. Even the smallest technology company is continually growing because the need is, is continually there. Yeah. It's, it's just a wild time. And if you, you know, if you've been around, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an elder millennial, right? So I'm on the, I'm on the cusp, right? Of not being a millennial, but so I've seen, I mean, I, man, I watched it go from cassette tapes to all the way to where we are now. Every time you have a major shift like this, you have the personal computer revolution, you have the internet revolution kind of like had a semi sort of high speed internet revolution in there. You had the web 2.0 revolution where everything got social. Um, I, it feels like this is one of the, first times that everyone sees the sea change coming seems like the, every other time people were a little slower to react but i think now as a society we've 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 gone through these like sea changes before with technology and i feel like everybody sees it coming this time would you agree yeah i think so i mean i tend to be a little bit critical of these waves you know and, and so i'm a gen xer right so I'm, <laughs> so, yeah. so i'm a little a few more grays and what i mean by that is is I've, I've also learned to watch a bunch of stuff not turn into something oh yeah and and so i i think that for me there's kind of been three critical points the first i think was was the internet itself exploding into the mainstream right the the the, the cloud the internet you know becoming a thing that's that late 90s 2000 conversion yeah. the the second one was very clearly the introduction of the iphone um you know the mobile revolution oh man was, you can't miss that one no that was a huge right and i actually am i'm willing to, to think that what we're seeing now is the third um, and, mm-hmm. and it is bec- because it's hitting so many things and this just doesn't feel like a fad, particularly when I put aside the fad type stuff, you know, there's lots of crazy dis- discussions going online. I mean, I love the story of the lawyer who went into court with a brief that was entirely written by chat GPT and got, you know, <laughs> and everything in it was wrong. Like it's a funny story, Yeah. but I'm much more interested in stories like what I'm seeing in terms of actually efficiency in terms of what law firms are able to do in terms of parsing all of those laws and the speed that they're able to do in getting their paralegals to be more productive or getting lawyers to do case management faster. Like that's the, where the rubber is really hitting the road. And we're seeing, I mean, again, in a year, we've seen pretty crazy advancements in what's capable. I know you're probably doing it in some of your business. I'm already got it impl- implemented in most aspects of what I do. And it's been able to create incredibly large surges in my productivity. And I'm seeing it with a lot of the, the MSPs and IT service providers that I talk to are saying the same thing. Yeah, it's... um. 
you know it's important and you know it's an important wave of technology and an important change when you don't have to try that hard to explain to somebody why it's important. So conversely, let's let's make fun of something together. Okay. But I was <laughs> I'm so this happened two times. Okay. Every tech Illuminati, whatever person tried to tell me how important Second Life was going to be. Right. Do you remember Second Life? <laughs> right. Second I Life do. is this I do. virtual. Is it still around? I don't know. It's it like, is actually still around. That company is still plugging away. <laughs> well, good for, good for shout out to Second Life. Okay. They live right next door to MySpace, right? Uh, they, they, everyone told me how important this was going to be. And people are spending gobs of money on, on fake digital real estate. Because it was a gold rush. And you, to the average person, you could not get them to verbalize why this was important. Right? You just couldn't. Whereas, and it, by the way, it happened again with Meta, which I don't think Meta's given up on it yet. Which is this, and for those that don't know, just big virtual reality world where we, we disconnect from this world we're in the new world we put the goggles on oh we're walking around it's like it's like the sims but we're trying to make it real it just has more clout or i don't know i don't know but i never believed in it i always thought it was just too early and if you can't tell me why it's a value add to humanity and people and the average person just goes yeah yeah, yeah i'm in then it's not going to catch on conversely y- your reference of the smartphone revolution i did not have to explain to literally anyone why it was significant that you had a you had an internet mobile device a telecommunications device and a a smart camera in your pocket right i didn't have to explain everyone immediately knew why that was significant and that's what i feel like is happening with artificial intelligence i don't think the average person needs much convincing that this is warrants paying attention I think you're right. And what's interesting is you you actually can measure it based on kind of utility and interference. And let me let me tell you what I mean by that. Like, so you're exactly right. Like people like the smartphone because it has an amazing utility. It removes a bunch of devices from, you know, from my pile of things that you remember when you had to carry a camera right. and, a, and a phone and all those separate. But I actually want to highlight interference a little bit. One of the reasons why I, I you know, don't think virtual worlds are the future is people don't like things that make them look goofy. You look funny. Look, it's kind of simple, but you don't like putting on a pair of goggles. It interferes with your interaction with people and the world. And you look kind of weird, right? Like, it's kind of goofy to put these things on your face. The smart glasses on. those They've tried those two or three times. By the way, nightmare for Proctor U, by the way. When they were doing the smart glasses, we're like, oh, my God. But by the way, we're very comfortable with digital assets, which is an interesting portion. Like, we'll buy skins in Fortnite or we'll buy, you know, things that we only all have as a digital digital asset you know we've been they've been experimenting with it in some of the what we're seeing in crypto is kind of is that an asset that's a whole other topic but i'm using it as an example of like we we do buy digital assets and that component about what those virtual worlds are talking about is a thing i'm far more intrigued again by when we think about it back to that augment capability i'm far more interested in what we're doing with augmented reality versus like that virtual reality like i think the idea of putting data into the world and making it more accessible to you is going to be a thing i think it's going to be you know can we like one day we'll get to hologram communication why because it's convenient right it is nice we're doing something together right now it's not perfectly convenient for us to see one another you can envision a world where we're doing that and and if people say like okay you're you're like way ahead it's like 
Well, am I really crazy that far ahead on holograms? Google's already working on it yeah. in their, in meeting environments. And by the way, Kiss just launched a new version of virtual avatars to do their concerts. And I'm slightly skeptical, but then I'm reminded that ABBA's been doing it for two years. And ABBA's made over a billion dollars in concert sales selling virtually. So no, like, no, there are... <laughs> no, no digital trend center, the Kiss Army, right? Exactly. But so you look at this and you're like, oh, I can't wait a second. I can see the areas where it augments versus interferes. So I want I want your esteemed opinion on NFTs, because you've got you just you touched on it. It's like, oh, it's a whole nother thing. And before you even I was like, oh, I got it. I got to ask you about this because you talk about hysteria like a couple of years ago, it would not have been. Uh, it would not have been crazy to see someone spend a quarter million dollars on a, a JPEG of a digital ape, you know, that had a the gold tooth or something. And I got maybe they weren't JPEGs. I'm sorry. I didn't get it in the craze. But yeah, it was I get an the image. Idea, but I get the idea. It was yeah. an image. And like and now those the obviously the market has cratered on those things. What is your thoughts around cryptocurrency, digital assets like NFTs, non-fungible tokens? It, I never saw the utility, right? Uh, so, so let's start with cryptocurrency. I didn't understand what was broken with money that needed this fix. <laughs> like right. I mean, and ultimately, like, that's kind of where it comes down to. Everyone that was telling us how money was broken, I didn't think money was broken. And then, you know, funny, all of the things about decentralization we became really interested in centralization when the scammers showed up right. and when people were asking for their money back. So again, you have, to, you have to focus on that. I do believe in the idea of digital assets. I think that's going to be a thing. But at the same time, I don't think digital assets for their own sake is necessarily a really large thing. And let me point to the art world. Right. Like art is artificially valuable because we have simply deemed it based on scarcity. Right. It's interesting to me. Like, I'm, I'm not a big art collector, but I like the space and I'm interested in you know, I like to try and appreciate art and stuff. And I understand that, you know, when, when a painter paints something, that's one time. Right. That's a that's an exclusive thing. There's scarcity to it. It's not quite scarce when it's artificial, right? Like in the idea of the the yeah you know, the the board eight board eight right. club and stuff. It's like, well, it isn't really scarce. You kind of just created that stuff, and so again, I don't understand the problem you're solving, and that's where where, where we have to ask the critical questions. It's okay to fling spaghetti at the wall. Like I'm fine with testing, right? right. But but we have to do it in a way that we're testing for utility rather than yeah. just sort of get quick uh, get rich quick schemes i think the i think the value in the whole crypto movement to me was the idea of non-centralized databases and making it far more difficult to hack databases because you've got to do like the 51 percent. for those that don't understand like it's too much to explain here but um be instead of having one central database you've got like a little piece of the database on millions of people's computers making it a lot harder for someone uh, to hack and change data. I think there's a tremendous amount of utility there. I agree with you when it became a surfing ape image, it's sort of like Beanie Babies, right? It, it, we, we sort of built it and tried to tell the world that it was scarce and valuable. And sort of like when you're telling the world that something is scarce and valuable, it just, it, it may believe it for a little while, but after a while it's like, it's only, 
It's not really right. It's just, it's just not And the, it's kind of like baseball cards. Like I still have my baseball cards from when I was a kid. Oh, I got my comic books from when I was a kid. They're going so yeah. to be valuable. And there's, there's literally a million dudes like me that still has your 1991, you know, Mark McGuire card that you, oh, this one's going to, and it's not like it's, it's, it's appreciated modestly. It was 10 cents when I got it. Now it's 40 cents, you know, or $2 or whatever. And it, so I think there is some precedent, though, when you say digital assets, like there is some precedence for there being value to a non-physical thing. For instance, intellectual property in and of itself is a valuable thing that we can't touch. I can't go call my company Google because Google owns the intellectual property to that name. I can't reach out and touch the actual thing, that intellectual property, but we've all agreed that it has value. Yep, exactly. And, and that's and that's where like, there is opportunity. Let's not throw out whole technologies without understanding them. I think blockchain is an interesting technology. Yep. There's there's some real use for a continuous logging mechanism. Like some of these pieces are there's there are things that we're going to do something with. And again, my eye, particularly when I work with business owners, is to make sure that we're having a conversation about what's the utility of this thing to make sure that it makes sense. And, you know, call me old school or classic. I prefer classic on this stuff. <laughs> like, I, tend, I tend to think that things need to generate revenue. Right. Like I think the basics of business are basics for a reason. You got to drive revenue. It has to be done efficiently. You manage your cost of goods sold. And in the end, we have to make some profit. Right. And anytime somebody just says, like, do something and magic profit, I'm pretty skeptical. Yeah. 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 No, totally agree. I think we should do a simultaneous grill check, by the way. I think we should. I was just thinking the bacon might need to be checked here. Check on the bacon. I'm going to let you go first. All right. All right. Let's take a look. You're going green egg. I see. Green egg. Oh, that's coming out. That's looking pretty good. The Look bacon's been so. By the way, so fancy my camera been, work there. Someone's zooming in for us. Thank you. I've got an actual producer on the side here to make sure things look good. Uh, so you know, I've been these have been smoking since for about two hours now. Oh man! Um, so the so the target is my grill is saying about 149 degrees. Target's 150, so they're just about right. But I I don't mind going slightly over right because I don't want to. But I don't want to do too much because you don't want to cook it. You no, just no. want to get it smoked and nice, and then these will get like then I'll let them cool naturally and wrap them and put them back in the fridge. So did you season well. them with anything? So that's the that's the rub itself. So that's where I'm actually doing it, where it was cured with okay. the maple syrup and the brown sugar and with the two kinds of salt. Right. And that sat, you know, those sat in the fridge for a week. And I, I ended up, uh, you know, flipping them every other day to make sure that the, the brine was all doing nicely in those Ziploc bags. It looks so good, man. So <laughs> I'm going to retrieve the uh, the wings off. Let me get a little camera shot of how our wings are doing here. So we've got uh, lemon pepper over here, and we've got the ba bourbon maple, or maple, as they say, uh, nice. <laughs> over here. I think we're done. I'm going to check the temp on these, but you can, you can eyeball, uh, you can pretty much eyeball wings. And these bad boys shrunk a lot afterwards. Um, oh, we're ready. So we're, we might get to watch me eat on the show today, which is always fun. So, and I'm, I'm. It's if you're watching online too, the green egg uh, that Dave has is certainly five steps up in in grilling street cred from where I am, which is screwing around with a digital 
you know, a digital grill here, a pellet grill. Jared, I love. Do not sell yourself short, man. Work like so doing on a proper cooker like that is actually like significant work. Uh, I when I, I my friend, my sort of interest in smoking and grilling started when I would do a we called it the pink rose. So we would rent a towable cooker, yes. put it in the parking lot outside my my townhouse and I'd go get a full hundred pound pig and smoke wow. it. Uh, and, but, but the trick to that is, is, I mean, you're getting up every hour and a half yes. and stoking the fire. Uh, that's a lot of work, especially when you're doing, you know, like, you know, I'll start the smoke the night before you don't sleep very well. And then I'm trying to have my friends over to have a good time yeah. <laughs> and I'm tired of barely slept. So, you know, but, but there, there is real art to doing it properly the way you're doing it on a grill that way. Well, and, and it, it gives you a lot of new options. Uh, it does, it does reduce, it does reduce the number of disasters. I mean, I've had pellet, I mean, excuse me, I've had ceramic cookers. I've had, um, you know, it's just literal like old school smokers and most of the time you're good, but man, every so often you have a full on disaster, right? Where, where it just did not go as planned. And like, for instance, like, you know, using a traditional smoker in the, in the winter, you know, and you're just battling frigid temps outside. You're not able to keep your grill at the temperature that you want it. And, um, and anyway, well, let me, let's let these bad boys cool off a little bit. Uh, and we can probably do a whole episode on grilling technology for sure. That was certainly well, good. You know, where do you think, um, I mean, where do you think the tech industry is going to go? We've talked about AI. I think it's, I, I've, I think that, when I, when I, when I'm, what I meant by that question was, you know, the social media revolution was literally changed the world, right? Um, it, it has arguably, arguably been used to overthrow governments. It ruined marriages. It connected people with long lost loved ones. It, I mean, it's done good and bad and everything in between. It feels like we've sort of reached an apex though, Right. I feel like Elon with, I don't want to call it X, okay, Twitter, but, you know, Twitter, X, I think, I think we're sort of at the apex of social media. I know with what Elon's trying to do is, is trying to, I don't know, rethink the way it's done. It's, it's not going well. I think you've seen, you've seen <laughs> saying Zuckerberg. It <laughs> yeah, saying it nicely. Um, you've also seen Zuckerberg. I mean, he renamed his company from Facebook to Meta, trying to distance himself, distance himself a little bit from the controversies and find a new reason for being that has a lot of growth. I, I mean, I also don't see it. Where do you see the future of the tech world as going as it pertains to social media? So I think we're seeing the end of sort of the centralized social media world uh, where, where big companies own that experience. Uh, we're actually moving into a world where people are moving back into smaller groups. We kind of all figured out as a society that everyone talking at the same time is a bad idea. <laughs> it's not. It's not necessarily great for good for good conversations and good information exchange. And on top of that, it's such a short bit that we don't have the opportunity for these more intricate, uh, long form discussions. It's not a great forum for that. And so. You've probably seen it in your own you know, world. I know I've seen it in mine, and I've seen it with, with the people that I talk to, that it's going into more smaller groups. 
Have you probably noticed that you maybe have Slack channels that are like with clusters of people you like talking to? Those text text threads that are communicative. We're seeing it in in where we're moving at a larger perspective. You mentioned Meta, what they're doing with threads. They're embracing that technology called Activity Pub, which is the idea of allowing federation of these networks so you can have different versions of it. There can be a social media network that has one different set of rules versus another that's focused on one specific community where then another group wants to run theirs in one way. And they've set up a communication structure that allows Allows for that interchange and Meta's embraced it. Threads is supporting Activity Pub. They're actually trialing it right now. This is going to be really interested for this kind of decentralized communication. I'm hopeful, uh, but watching for making sure that that continues to be a uh, actual healthy way that we communicate. But I think that's the where it's going. Do you think? Do you think Threads has a chance? I mean, it sounds like you see some real utility there. I just saw it as a Twitter cover band. So, I mean, I've been I've been more active on threads. I wouldn't say I'm necessarily like fully embraced of it, but the conversations have actually been pretty high quality of late. Um, now, I live in tech world and tech threads te- tends to be a little bit more robust than some of the others. Uh, but I but the interesting thing about threads is it doesn't have to be the only solution because it's built on this open standard. There can be other related networks that plug into it. And so from a social media perspective, it's like, well, it's not just threads, right? Threads doesn't have, it could be this threads links to Mastodon, which links to some of the, uh, you know, to Blue Sky. Like they're all interchangeable in this new world. And you can take your audience from one platform to the other. That's the actual power of this decentralized version. I don't think I fully understood that or appreciated that. That is really interesting. And that is a novel thing. I think what's interesting about, for me, for Twitter, again, I, I can't, I can't bring myself to call it X, but I'm, I'm what, with you. <laughs> what, just a side note, the because I love branding and stuff. What are you doing? Like you have a literally a globally recognized brand that you have paid billions of dollars for, and then you, because you, I don't know, because you you want to send a message to everybody that things are changing, you torch that name. Now you branded it X. And then, by the way, this is just some UI annoyances. You also put the X logo, which is a friggin' X, in the right-hand side of every time somebody embeds a tweet. Um, so when you embed a tweet on a website, the X logo is at the top right of that embed. What does an X at the top right of anything universally mean to every technology user since the 80s? It means to close it, right? And so I've clicked on that X so many times, just, it's just such a bad, it's, it's ill-advised well, and poorly executed. So I'll offer a very simple theory. Okay. I think Elon has Twitter brain. I think like, you know, you spend too much time on Twitter, your worldview distorts a little bit. Well, he's kind of the ultimate user and his brain just got a little bit broken. And he re- he started thinking that Twitter was more important than it actually was. If you look at usage, it's one of the smaller sites. Besides politicians and media people and tech people, it's actually not that part of most people's world. So he kind of over-rotated on thinking how important it was. It was so important to him. The same way that like cigarettes are important to some people, but uh, but you can stop smoking. Like right. you can stop. And most of us have realized, you know what? I don't really like that. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm yeah. going to stop. 
but he he's he's got a little too much Twitter brain. That's a great perspective, and I think I just think to my perspective, and I, I again, it's just my opinion. Twitter's value to the world was the global public forum, right? So Facebook was where you sort of went um, to talk with g- communities of people. Twitter was sort of the place you went to speak into the big void, right? Um, because you just didn't, you didn't, they didn't really segment conversation. They tried to, but it never really caught on where you would segment certain threads and conversations into other sections. Like really your Twitter feed was this giant indiscriminate, you know, thing of, Hey, I'm following baseball Twitter and I've got no barbecue Twitter and here's some politics and here's some stuff. And it's all just mishmashed. And so when you tweet, you weren't talking to a subset of the world, you're talking to the whole world. And that was what was novel about that. And you could watch Twitter was where I went when earthquakes happened and governments were overthrown and everything. Cause that's where you went to get people that were trying to tell the world something. Right. So, I mean, it's, you're right. And, but what I'm, I want to, it's a great place for people to come there and communicate, but I want to actually focus on two thoughts that I think we're learning from this experience. The first is it wasn't public. It was always a private company. And we have to remember that, that the rules of the road are private company rules. That's healthy. We're both in business, right? Like we're a big believer in that kind of stuff. But the rules of the road are different in a utility and a public service versus a business. And it's just a thing. You just have to acknowledge it. It isn't a public thing. It's useful for the business owners to say it's a public thing, but we have to remember it's not. But, but I think the actual important lesson is what we, we, you, you talked about in there. You talked about sports Twitter and baseball Twitter and news Twitter and barbecue Twitter and all of the various bits of that. Humans are not really great at communicating about everything all the time, everything all at once. We actually are better when we're processing information in useful ways. And I think the thing we're learning about this is that we are better. We are multifaceted as people. That's healthy. And if you're trying to consume everything all at once, things can get really ugly. But when you can focus on commonalities, when you can focus on areas that you can communicate together, you can work on something collaborative. For example, barbecue as a barbecue Twitter. If that becomes just a thing that you talk about, like kind of a little bit old school internet of like forums and private listservs and that kind of stuff, wonderful communities can grow there. And so the lesson for us is that in some ways, specialization is really good and really healthy. And I think we're going to see more of that. I think there's real value in that. I think people got to a place where you're right. They didn't, every, everything being together all at once just became noise, right? It was, it was hard to make sense of things. And I also think that, you know, the, the sort of the net effect to society of, like a digital communication sort of democratized things a lot. And in, and in the early stages, we thought that was such a great thing where, you know, the person washing dis- dishes at your local Chipotle uh, is, is, can, can speak with the same volume as a CEO because they're all in the same sort of thread. The problem with that is, you know, no one got, no one gets communication mulligans anymore. Like, you know, 25, 30 years ago, you can mutter something under, under your breath and you can sort of say it without really thinking about the impact or how it could be misconstrued or whatever. Now, if you, if you type that under your breath, it has this, it carries the same weight as a public statement from a public figure and people get, you know, just crucified for these little things that they say or little things that they do. 
and um, all because they sort of wrote it out and it, it's given the same weight um, as what people are saying, you know, in press releases and things. And I think that is a it's hard because it's hard to teach young people. I used to cringe when I was trying to hire people at Procter U. We were trying to hire a lot of people. And one of the things you do is you check their public social media, right? And I don't care what any HR person says. If they put it out in public, it is fair game, right? Especially if they're in a social network that requires no login, right? So you would go check their social media to see what they um, how they portray themselves and, uh, you know, and you find people doing drugs and doing, and you're thinking like, this is a permanent record that you are creating of yourself. That is, it's one thing to have taken a photo of yourself drinking a beer at 16 and that photo's in an envelope under your bed. It's another thing to have that photo as accessible as uh, a press release from Microsoft, which is what it would be on, on Twitter. Yeah, and, and you're 100% right, and I think that you, we, we all cultivate that. But I think the other thing that we as uh, business leaders and as humans need to sort of focus back on a little bit is, is that you also don't always have full insight into people as human beings and well-rounded. Just as we said that there are multiple facets to your personality and the things you're communicating with online, we don't actually know beyond the tip of the iceberg for most people what's going on. And I think you, you've hit on a really important thing that we, we as people, business leaders, and as society need to think about is, is how are we going to have a system for grace and for forgiveness? Mm. Um, because, you know, one of the things that, that I find is, is oftentimes, I'll, as a business leader, as someone that communicates with somebody, when I find somebody, something's good, like somebody makes some kind of big noise that's, uh, that's unusual for them. Usually the why behind it is not any of the things that I think or know about. I don't know about their own struggles. I don't know about what happened in their family life. I don't know about what may have happened with their parents that morning health-wise or what happened with their kids or the fight they had with their partner or you don't have insight into that. Most of the time you find that that's the core of why people have a particularly bad reaction to something that seems wrong. And then I also want to say we, we need to learn both as a, individuals and a society, we kind of need to relearn the, the, the grace of forgiveness, uh, that we need a way of rehabilitating when so, somebody can make a mistake and the act of rehabilitation is part of the forgiveness process. And I think that that peace, the more we focus there, the stronger and better our outcomes are going to be both personally and by the way, professionally. Oh man, you—you, you, I mean, we're veering into some some touchy feely stuff that I really love. But I, <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. I think I think grace is missing in the conversation all the time. And and a, an example would be uh, the the woman who was filmed on an airplane pointing and saying that man's not real or that guy's not, whatever that guy was. We all saw it. Her name was Tiffany something or other. And I've seen some interviews with her since then. And she's like, look, that was one of my worst moments of my life. Like I lost control. I was showing myself I should not have acted that way. And we have boiled her entire existence down to a five second clip of her worst moment. And who among us has not had a terrible, regrettable moment where we've said or done something or acted some way where if that was all you ever saw, you would not know who we truly are. And I think it's just a shame that, um, people do that to other human beings to sort of score points, right? To say, oh, I'm, I'm on the good team because I'm pointing at that person and saying that's wrong. 
instead of like, you know, there was a, there was an instance at, uh, I'm a big university of Florida alum. I love, I love my Gators years ago. I forget, I forget the kid's name. There was a, there was a kid who was coming to play at the university of Florida had already committed there. And a video comes out online of him, you know, white kid singing the lyrics out loud to a rap song, just gets in the moment, says the word he shouldn't say. And this kid's life gets ruined over like a split second. And, it, and, and to be clear, like when you're, when you're repeating somebody else's art out loud, does that have the same weight as you flinging that thing? I don't know. It's real, probably not my question to answer, but the point is like, there was no grace given to this kid. This kid's like 17 years old, just figured out, just figuring out what life is. And you've got a whole bunch of people that have never met that kid that label him. He doesn't get to go to the university of Florida, by the way, he gets his, he gets his scholarship taken away. And it's like, Holy cow, where is the grace in this situation, especially for a kid, you know? And I think we're becoming a little more aware of that. We're just starting. There's a lot of people that are starting to become a little more understanding. Digital media can make, um, tribalism so natural and easy to do and then it's very easy to fling something harsh and hateful and judgmental at somebody that appears to be outside of your tribe well remember i mean and i think the important fact to, to circle this into the business conversation remember it's about financial motivations you know the the algorithms the the big social media companies have learned that engagement equals yeah. enragement yeah. Right. And the, that the two work well together and they make more money, the more angry their audience is. That's a financial motivation. By the way, businesses are in the business of making money. I right. get it. Right. <laughs> like, and so I'm not, I'm not going to turn around. What I'm not going to do is I'm not going to blame Facebook or Meta or uh, X. I'm not going to blame those companies. What I'm going to actually say is, is us as society, we're responsible for putting in place the rules of the road, the, right, the, the, you know, the guardrails. We don't like talking politics. I get it. I'm not going there, but I'm just saying that argument, that discussion is about the rules of the road for society. That's healthy. And yeah. we want to have those conversations. I always use a really simple example, and I've used it a lot. And some of my co-hosts and on one of my po uh, Killing It podcasts make fun of me for this. But the idea is, is, is like, look, the cheapest way for, for, say you and I get into the chemical plant business, right? We're going to do chemical processors. The quickest way for us to, to dispose of our waste is put our plant next to a river and dump it into the river. That's, that is by far the cheapest and most yeah. efficient way to do that problem. But you know what? Society has decided that we don't want fish with three eyes. Yeah. And so we like to drink water that doesn't glow in the dark. And so we say that's not allowed. Now, by the way, we can have a healthy argument about what is the definition of clean water and maybe the ways that we're we're doing that. That's, by the way, called regulation in politics. It's kind of unpleasant sometimes, but by the way, it's a healthy debate that we should have. And if we put a little grace around it, too, we can actually get down to, to, to solving some interesting problems. But that's where it is. You don't blame the companies. You actually have to turn the eyes back to ourselves and say, like, we want to live in a society that manages these things. It's kind of up to us to make those decisions. Yeah. So you, I have we, I could talk to you all day, by the way. You're, you're <laughs> that's great fun. <laughs> but I want to ask because we're, we're heading into an election year and I don't want to veer into politics talk, but I want to talk about sort of like I want I want Dave like the referee here. Right. Um the last, I would say, certainly the 2016 election, the tech industry's influence into that 
election is undeniable and will be talked about for generations. I think it was less so in 2020 because people were more aware, but there were absolutely definitely incidents where different sides of the equation, people interpret the Hunter Biden laptop thing, people interpret that differently, right? Of how that story was either pulled from the news and everything else. Um, and people interpret all, all sorts of things. Where do you see um, the tech industry playing a role in this upcoming election next year? And do you think we're going to have another moment where everyone's going to point at something that happened and have their own spin on why that, you know, why that was unfair and how that should change the outcome yeah. or whatever? Yeah, it's so it's a complicated problem. And I'll, I'll actually sort of smile and say to the last board is, yeah, I'm confident somebody's going to point to something. Because there's always looking for a reason. But let's actually have a more nuanced conversation about this. What we've kind of learned as society, kind of on both sides of the aisle here, is, is that we don't necessarily like unregulated tech. We've kind of all decided we don't really like that necessarily. And that we're not going to let what happened with social media happen again with things like AI. I'm pretty encouraged by the fact that there's some real bipartisan action going on in Congress right now in terms of reviewing AI. They pulled together a long series of workshops this past year to review the issue, start having some real discussions. They were learning about what the technologies are. There's even a congressman getting his advanced degree in artificial intelligence right now. So it's real easy to sort of cast aspersions and say like, oh, they don't understand anything. You know what? They've actually learned, leaned into some real education around here. They're having some open forums and discussion. And the likelihood of this not being regulated at all is as close to zero as I can imagine. The EU has already passed an e, their, their AI Act that passed just in the past week or so. Wow. Um, uh, you know, and, and EU law is its own thing. It's going to take a little while to go. But the Europeans have been pretty forward on, on leaning into a lot of regulation, and they weren't as much even on social media. I think we're going to learn a little bit from them as they roll it out, too. But I think our own, the U.S. government, is not doing nothing. And so what I think we're going to land is, is we're going to land in a world where at least it isn't just complete chaos. To your point, like, is something going to happen? Yeah, of course, because there's people motivated by pointing out things as the reason. Uh, but but there's a common thread of good, you know, I tend to be, there's a lot of good people doing a lot of good work along the way. We can point to some of the stuff that happened from a cybersecurity perspective, both in the 2016 and 2020 elections. And I can point to what's going on in Congress right now around AI. I think there's going to actually be some real attention paid here. That's excellent. Well, Dave, I, like I said, I could talk to you all day. Um, I've got a plate of wings in front of me, so I probably have some some business to get down to. Is there <laughs> anything else we need to know about that bacon behind you, by the way? Well, you know, I'm about to pull that. So when, when we finish up here, I'm going to pull that. I'm going to let it cool, wrap it up. I think that'll end up as part of the Christmas meals around Ooh. here. Because <laughs> That's exciting, so man. I'm inspired. Like when you when you told me you were going to make bacon before the show, I just I did not I did not think you were making big slabs of it to be cut later, which is that's super cool. And I I think, you know, who which one of us looks like the real barbecue savant right now? It's you know, it's probably the guy making bacon. So but but you're doing it on a regular basis. And I just appreciated you having me in the studio to be able to have a little fun, do some do some, you know, cook some meats on both sides and have a have a fun conversation. Just an old schmuck in his backyard talking tech by the <laughs> grill. Uh Dave, the business of tech podcast, it's awesome, guys. If you if you love 
uh, geeking out on stuff like this and really getting what I love about your show is it's quick. Like you get right to what's happening today. Um, it's not the broad strokes. You're, you're really getting into reacting to the news, which is really cool. Dave, where can they find that show and where can they find you? I'm easy to find. You go to businessof.tech is the website. There's a button there to follow on whatever platform I'm on, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, whatever's favorite for you. I'm on all the socials, but I freely admit I lean into LinkedIn. I'm easy to find there. The easiest place to communicate with me is on LinkedIn. Again, links to everything is at businessof.tech. Businessof.tech. This was awesome. Dave, enjoy your bacon. I'm going to enjoy these wings. Uh, guys, be leaning into AI. I've said it on the show before. It's the most significant change in the world in a long time, and it's going to affect everything. And the faster you learn how it can and will affect your corner of the world, the better off you'll be. So we love it here. Uh, we love talking tech here at the Slow Smoke Business Show. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. If you enjoyed this show, if you found anything valuable, please, will you send it to a friend of yours? Like us, give us a five-star rating, thumbs up, wherever we are. You know what to do. We'll see you next time on Slow Smoke Business.